Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, February 5th, 2019, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, on page 6, the first paragraph, which begins with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. We will be reading and commenting on this one paragraph only, which ends with, so, two bottles, and oblivion. Today's readers are Carmela G, Elaine H, Nancy T, and Sally P. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, February 4, 2019's meetings are 12,498 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 12498, and 12,499 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 12499. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carmela G. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning. This is Carmela G. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, 
continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Carmela G. I will now ask Elaine H. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Uh, Good morning. This is Elaine, compulsive overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Elaine H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker's should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's story on page 6, the first paragraph, which begins with the remorse, horror, and hopelessness. We will be reading and commenting on this one paragraph only, which ends with two bottles and oblivion. I will now ask Nancy T. 
to go ahead and read that for us. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning. This is Nancy T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market recover would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. So, excuse me, should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jen would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. I think anybody that has struggled in this disease who identifies in as a real compulsive overeater understands this paragraph in and out and in and out and over and over and over again. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness, and I add guilt and shame and all that is unforgettable. I mean, I I was there. The courage to do battle was not there. Before I became willing to surrender everything and give this big book a shot, follow the directions exactly. I had given up. The battle, the courage to do battle wasn't there. I had given up. I had decided that I was going to die fat and I was just going to have to be okay with that because I thought, I thought I had tried everything. I, you know, I've been in OA a lot of years and I've tried a lot of different ways of um, working the program, so to speak. All of them except following the instructions in the big book all the way through. Now, I would tell you I had followed the instructions in the big book, but what I did is I worked until I felt better, um, usually through step nine, and then I dropped the ball. I got complacent. Um, and I always had the new resolve, you know, that we just heard about on the page before. This time I meant business. This had to be stopped, you know. I mean, I did that also. That was kind of the... Um, opposite of this paragraph, you know, my resolve. But I did that over and over. I went from that new resolve to this remorse, horror, and hopelessness. My new resolve always lasted only until um, I got hungry. And then I'm like Bill here. I just like, you know, I find myself eating to oblivion. Um, And oh, well, I'll get back on track tomorrow. And then tomorrow I'd wake up and then here's this remorse, horror, and hopelessness again. Um, I can't say I ever contemplated killing myself, but I was placed in a mental institution once um, because I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live the way I was either. Um, It was, you know, and then like Bill here, so two bottles and oblivion, food was always my solution to everything when I didn't know what else to do. I can only say that I am so glad I don't live in this yo-yo, this up and down, up and down, up and down from the resolve to the remorse, horror, and hopelessness over and over and over again. Because I finally asked somebody and said, I've never tried it all the way through the way it's described in the big book. I'm willing to give it a shot, even though I don't think it'll work. I told her that. I said, I don't think it's going to work, but I'm willing to try. She said, that's all you need to do. We worked through the steps quickly and I became recovered and I haven't had to live that wake up with that remorse, horror, and hopelessness one day since then. And if it worked for me, it'll work for you too. So thank you for allowing me to be of service. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy T. I would like to give 
opportunity to new voices and those of you who haven't had a chance to share on this meeting in the past couple of days. So if that is the case for you and you would like to share on this first paragraph on page six, please press star one to unmute your phone and state your first name and last initial. Julie R. Janet G. Janet G. Julie R. Larry Katie G. from Boston. Daryl B. Shannon C. Mickey, uh, Kim Mickey, J, Larry B, Daryl B, Kim G, Daryl, Lily J. Okay, Shane I'm gonna I'm gonna read you who I wrote down, which I know it was far and few between, but here's who I heard: uh, Judy, maybe E, Janet, Larry, Katie, Shannon. Someone whose last initial was O, Daryl, and Marie. And when I call on you, hopefully you you exist based on what I said, and you can give me your full name. So Judy, is it E? It was Julie R. First. Oh, Julie. I, you know what? <laughs> it is Julie R. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead, Julie. Hi. Thanks. This is Julie R. Recovered compulsive overeater. The remorse, the horror, and the hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. I would go to bed with so much food in me that I am surprised that I didn't die of a heart attack. And I would wake up, and my first thought was, oh, my God, I did it again. And there would be evidence everywhere. I mean, I, you know, I'm five foot two, and I got to 303 pounds, so I, I eat. Um, ravenously, I eat. I used to joke with my sons, I could eat more than any of them on his football team. And and that was the truth. And I would wake up in that impending doom that once again, I couldn't get my act together to not eat. And each time the resolve got shorter and shorter and shorter. And I had no... Um, courage to do the battle anymore it would just like forget it I mean there's no use even trying and I would wake up get up and I would eat something because I was so shaky from eating 20 30,000 calories at a sitting that I had to eat something to calm myself down and then the whole cycle would repeat again because there wasn't time I didn't have that where I could you know, stay on my food plan or stay on a diet or fast or anything. There was, I couldn't do it at all. It was just a continuous cycle. Eat, purge, eat, purge, remorse, guilt, shame, whatever. And, um, you know, some of you haven't heard me on the line for a while. And um, it's because, you know, food's the last thing to go. And I was living in unmanageability and I picked up. And, Thank God it only lasted three separate times, but it, it is what it is. It's a relapse. And thank God, you know, I've got, you know, going on, you know, two and a half months, which doesn't seem like a lot. But my God, the freedom again. I don't wake up. I'm totally neutral. I'm free. And um, I don't have that remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning again. And it's only because following the precise instructions of this book. and um, you know, I just, I'm just so glad to be alive, spiritually alive. And it's all because of the big book, allowing myself to know my creator. 
And um, yeah, I, that it is unforgettable. The remorse, the horror, and hopelessness. And I'm so glad I'm not there. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Julia. Janet. Hi, I'm Janet E. Recovered in Cuenca, Ecuador. And this is the first time I'm calling in live because I believe it or not, I just figured out how to use Skype. A little old school here. Entirely grateful to be abstinent and a part of this group. I've been listening to the recordings, but it finally occurred to me, wow, I could actually join in and speak. Um, I know this remorse, horror, and hopelessness so well. Just the first waking thought, what did I do last night? Oh, God, I did it again, right? And then launching into the opposite extreme of severe restriction, um, fasting, punishment, because I needed to be punished. And um, oh, the hell of that. And, um, you know, today what I what I see in recovery for myself is just <laughs> the entire psychic change. I wake up and the first thought is, oh, it's a beautiful new day. I live in the Southern Andes. I have recovery here. Um, I'm, I'm abstinent. I'm right down my food. I'll give it to my sponsor. Oh, it's time for the meeting. And nothing but gratitude. And I just... <laughs> I can't get over just the the magnitude of change that that this program gives us. The instructions, if I follow them, um, will provide for me. And I'm just ever so thankful to be connected with all of you now and stating my name out loud and saying I look forward to connecting with all of you. And I'm so grateful today. With that, I pass. Thank you, Janet E. Larry K. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Um, Larry Kay recovered. You know, it reminds me, you know, with Bill, um, you know, that, you know, that when, when, you know, when we're in the grasp of compulsive behaviors like this, you know, even unknowingly, we aim to kind of deaden the, 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 these shadowy feelings, you know, for me, it was trying to fill an invisible emptiness. I bet it was similar for Bill. And, and so, you know, he ventures out to an all-night place where, you know, a dozen glasses of ale stills his nerves, you know, finally. And this takes me back to, you know, the donut shop that I would venture out to, you know, the all-night place and, you know, to calm my nerves. I mean, a dozen donuts or, you know, a dozen glasses of ale. I mean, what, what difference does it make? See, the bottom line for, for Bill and for me maybe for you too, was that these substances were necessary. They were absolutely necessary to bring about a sense of ease and comfort, you know, that I, that we were chasing. And I, I couldn't get comfortable in my own skin without my, my heroin. You know, that, that mental fog begins to settle down for me, even driving over to the donut shop, you know, knowing that I was about to get my fix, that would start to calm my nerves. And I, I didn't so much purchase the donuts. They purchased me. They, they owned me. They, they weren't tethered. The donuts weren't tethered to me. I was tethered to them, just like Bill. And like Bill, they offered me oblivion. So in other words, the donuts didn't heighten my ability to feel at all. They, did, they, they extinguished my senses. That food suppressed my feelings so I can relate to him. It wasn't my problem. It was my daily solution, my hourly solution. And they would, you know, to numb out and disengage from life. 
and we'll see that, that Bill isn't ready to wave the white flag yet. I wasn't either. I'm not going to wave the white flag. That's, that's for the weak-willed. See, I was taught that if you fall behind, run faster, you know, try harder, never give up, never surrender. And this, you know, this was my greatest liability to getting well. The, in, the utter inability to stop running into the forest. I kept running into the forest. I couldn't be found. And a truly wise person surrenders. Eventually, you know, he or she stops fighting. But he's not ready to stop fighting, and neither was I. It was going to take more pain and more consequences. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry K. KDG. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, my fellows. KDG recovered in Boston. Yeah, I mean, I so agree and remember just waking up and the first words being like, oh, explicative. And and the awful thing was that, like, I spent my life fighting, right? Like, Bill says that in his story, like, you know, he's that fighter, like, going after what he wants. And then all of a sudden, like, the food had me flattened. And I remember my heart palpating. And I remember being in relapse and calling a sponsor and saying, I didn't realize the lack of clarity um, that w- this food would do to me. I can't even put on my pants. I don't know what my name is. Um, I had picked up and it was it was horrendous and um, you know I love this like the oblivion so oblivion is a lack of consciousness and that is what I sought from the time I was a little girl I couldn't comprehend reality and food fixed it for me because my brain was so painful and life was so tragic in my head and I couldn't be in my body. And so I would I would eat and then this mental fog and then, oh, please, God, oblivion, because I don't have to take responsibility and I don't want to grow up and I don't want to pay my bills and I want to blame you and I want to, you know, me, 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 I, I, I. You know, and so today, the miracle is like each and every day, like I get to grow up. I I get to wake up and not want to die. I get to wake up and not use food. I get to wake up and be in the present moment, which is where God is. And I don't have to be in the past, and I don't have to be in the future. And most significantly, like, I don't want that ease and comfort of checking out and not being present. I have given so much of my life to this desire to check out and not show up. And, you know, I took the bite and the bite took me. I took the laxative and the exercise and the anorexia. It took me. I I obeyed the dictates of the food. And so now today, like, yeah, it's not Get Comfortable Anonymous. This is Overeaters Anonymous, but... You know, the message that we are getting eventually is that it gets really dark, but, but there is recovery and there is hope. And the beauty of life and this present moment is that I'm not eating right now and I can be comfortable with discomfort. I can pray for the willingness to be willing. I can get out of my head, which is where this main problem is, and I don't have to self-medicate into this state of oblivion. I can process reality with the help of all of you and this 10th step and most significantly a God who loves me so much that he wants to teach me each and every day. So I'm going to keep showing up God willing with all of you and with that I pass. Thanks Katie G. 
Shannon. Was there someone named Shannon who wanted to share, or did I get the name wrong? Hi, this is Shannon. Hi. Oh, good. Good morning, Shannon. <laughs> good morning. I didn't, uh, sorry. Uh, good morning. My name is Shannon T. I am a compulsive overeater in Washington, D.C. I'm really, really grateful to <clears throat> be on the call today. I um, I also have a cold, so my voice uh, doesn't normally sound like this, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> I just, I I love this, this paragraph because it's just so visceral to me. Like, it just really does take me back to <clears throat> what it was like. Um, you know, in the final days of my binging and, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I love the way that I love Bill's writing because it's just, I don't know, I can't describe it any other way than visceral. And, you know, I've been in, um, I've been abstinent for, um, over four years now. And, um, so sometimes it's easy for me to forget like what it was really, really like, you know, I try to push that out of my mind and reading this stuff just brings it right back. And just the, the horror and just the, the terror that I would feel that like, Oh my gosh, if anybody saw what, you know, the pizza boxes and the, the trash and stuff in my apartment. And if they knew how I really lived um, with just food containers everywhere, <clears throat> you know, just, going around like that and just having that fear and that, that remorse. And it was just, it was unendurable. Um, you know, and then my, my favorite line in this, and this just kind of described like my whole life um, before program was intending calamity, you know, is that just, I always felt like some, something horrible could happen at any moment, you know, and it was just like that sense that like being that keyed up, all the time and just like just like a, a spring like ready to you know explode or something just all the time it's just how I lived because you know I was in such a foul place that I was just constantly I was just terrified all the time and I remember you know I would go to sleep at night and I would just be terrified I, I wasn't going to wake up you know that I wasn't going to sleep I was dying um, you know I'm a hundred pounder and you know, the weight of the, the, you know, my fat, like on my throat, and I would have trouble breathing, and I have to sleep in funny positions. And I was legitimately scared that I would just pass away in my sleep. Um, and so I say all that just to say that, um, you know, I need to remember this, like, I have to remember what it was like, because like, I don't live that way anymore. Like, there's not an impending sense of calamity. Um, and I'm just so, so, so grateful for that, you know, and that like being on these calls and listening to people like share, just knowing that like, you know, we all felt this way. And I, I just, I can't even describe like just how, how it makes my heart feel. Um, and so I'm just so, so, so grateful. Also, people have been making a lot of outreach calls to me. Um, I'll pass, I'll wrap with this. Um, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, so with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon C. Was there someone whose last initial was O? I. This is Hudson L. You may have heard that. 
I think it is. Thank you so much. Hudson L. Hi, thank you. Uh, Good morning. I am a compulsive overeater in Missouri. And um, I first want to say I'm I'm really grateful that um, that announcement for folks who don't speak frequently is coming up regularly. It's a big push for me to to speak. So uh, thanks for that. So the remorse for and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Um, So that sends me back to not too long ago, um, six months, no, maybe more, more than that. But nevertheless, uh, that being my story of waking up, knowing that I consumed so much sugar, uh, so much heavy, heavy, rich food the night before, and just not knowing why, why can't I not do this? Why is this my lot? Um, so that just reached to me, called to me. And then, of course, the uh, the oblivion, and someone mentioned that that means a lack of consciousness. And that is the walk that I took through most of my days in the food. I'm so grateful. I have four months now of uh, recovery after a relapse. And um, I just can't tell you how joyful I am not to be in the in the cup, so to speak. Um, but the the thing that has changed that I'm realizing with this this round through the steps is that it's not just me alone. Uh, I am walking with uh, a strong, kind, present spirit that uh, if I turn to it. Uh, I can get through anything if I turn to it. And what I'm learning to do, God willing, uh, is to do it daily and stopping often to turn to it. Not turn to the food to soothe in a moment of of, uh, confusion or irritation, but turn to what is reliable, what is a constant, and that is my spirit, my my God. what else did I want to say? Yeah, just not living in that mental fog anymore. It's just, it's, a, it's priceless. All right. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Hudson L. Daryl. This is Daryl B. from Cabina, California. I really needed to, to share on this stage on this page because I listened uh, on the uh, recorded line yesterday and, and and with this part of the book that uh, really means a lot uh, to my recovery. Uh, I I came into the rooms 31 years ago, and uh, and I was blessed by uh, a sponsor who uh, sponsored me through the big book. She said that there are lots of different ways of doing the steps, but there's one way that we know that works, and that's this one, and that's the one we're going to use. And uh, and it has been one that, that has worked over the years. What I'm looking at uh, right here is uh, uh, Bill's looking at uh, uh, or thinking about uh, committing suicide. He says, should I kill myself? No, not now. It was only a page ago when people were jumping from the towers of high finance, and he says, uh, no, he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to a bar. 
and that's the progression of the disease. And I think that that's really the the, the thing that has uh, really helped me over the years. When I've gotten uh, into a, a season of, of slipperiness, and uh, I've never left the rooms, never. But uh, that I would always go back to, to Bill's story, and I would read Bill's story, and it would get me grounded again. And uh, and it's uh, because you see the whole thing with this disease, and and you and you can see how it's even uh, uh, gaining power. And I want to share that you know that I, I had a home meeting uh, years ago that uh, uh, that I that I went to that was in a church. And they had a marquee out in front. And one day on the marquee, it said the three D's of, of sin. And I, I looked at it, and all of a sudden it just hit me. They're talking about this disease. That uh, They said that the, the first D was it deceives. The stage two D is it degrades. And stage three is it destroys. And what Bill's describing here is he is on the beginning of the destruction stage. It's already degraded him. And it's already deceived him. But now it's getting ready to destroy him. The mind raced uncontrollably. I've been there. I've been there. And, uh, and I know what that, uh, that feels like. And uh, it, I, it reminds me I'm a fisherman. And it reminds me of uh, uh, having a, a fish on the, on, the, on the line and you're reeling it in. And then you let it play for a little bit, reel it in a little bit more. And then it finally, the fisherman decides to land that fish. And uh, that's where I was when uh, God reached in and, and, and snapped that line. And uh, I'm still swimming in that lake free. I still have a gut, uh, a hook in my gut. But uh, I have a place where I'm with other fellows that uh, know what that hook looks like and sounds like. Thanks. With that, I pass. Thank you, Daryl B. Marie, before I have you start sharing, I just want to let everybody know we read the first paragraph on page six, The Remorse, Horror, and Hopelessness, and we're sharing on that one paragraph. And Marie is the last person whose name I have written down. So after she shares, I'll open up the line again and uh, try to give priority to people who haven't shared recently. Go right ahead, Marie. Thanks for holding off. Thank you. Good morning. This is Marie J. And I am a recovered compulsive reader in Colorado. And it says here the courage to do battle wasn't there and the market had gone to hell and so had I and the market would recover, but I wouldn't. So Bill is getting closer to realizing that he's powerless. And that's the state where we have to be in to gain the willingness to surrender. And even as a recovered compulsive overeater, um, life sometimes comes up for me and it really tries to take me out. And lately, last few days, this week, I've been having just life coming up, coming up and trying to take me out. And I've been in and out of feeling a little helpless and hopeless. And, um, but what I know is I have this formula for not sinking into self-pity and going to the food. That's what recovery is, you know, making the choice. And when life shows up hard, I have to work these steps with more rigor and I have to practice my connection with higher power more. And I have to remember that it is a practice. It's every day. It's with courage. It's with intention. And it's while all this stuff is going on, while I'm in a little bit of hopelessness, I have to have the courage, grab the courage and trust that I've got the formula to work through these issues with higher power. And it's not easy when I'm feeling defeated. 
like this morning I woke up and I felt really disconnected from higher power. I didn't want to get out of bed at 4.30 in the morning to get on this line, but I had had a tough day yesterday. And I just rolled over and I said a little prayer, you know, the prayer that I say 10 times a day, 20 times a day, thy will be done always. And it got me out of bed. And what I know is I can stay in that state of defeat and self-pity, which is just self-will and self-reliance and, and becoming God, playing God, you know, or I can get the courage to do the battle and I can surrender to higher power and I can get, get connected and I can just keep trudging the road, working my program, and some days are hard. Even when I'm recovered, some days life is hard. But I can just be connected and free, or I can choose my disease. Those are my choices, and I only have to ask myself every day, what is my choice to be? So just for today, I can get out of self, I can turn toward God, and I can reach out and help someone else who is suffering. So just get out of myself. And it's that simple. But it's not always easy. It says it in the book. But it's a choice that I make. Nobody can make that choice for me. I make the choice. And then God takes over. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Marie J. If you would like to share on this first paragraph on page six in the big book and haven't shared recently on this meeting, please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Lori Kelly. 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 Lori Nancy P. Okay, so let me tell you who I wrote down. Leah M., Lisa B., I think Lauren A., Tina, someone whose last initial is T., and Nancy P. Let's see how it goes. Katie C. Katie C.? Kelly. T. Your T was Katie C. Katie T., thank you so much. Okay, let's mm-hmm. just leave it at the six of you. I think that may be the, all the time we have. Leah M., please go ahead. Thank you very much for your service. You know, we talk about uh, the promises of recovery, and when I look at this paragraph, um, I see the promises of disease, and I live those promises too. Um you know, certainly remorse, horror, and hopelessness was a promise. Certainly the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of my illness was a promise. Um, You know, he's questioning his sanity. He's thinking about suicide. Um, I love Bill's story because it is a very vivid and detailed and frightening account of Bill's descent into the madness of alcoholism. And when I looked at my history, I saw the same frightening, vivid account and descent um, because I got to this point also. The results of the way I was living, the results of the way I was thinking um, had been terrible. I had to take an honest assessment of my life. I was in um, physical pain. I was in emotional turmoil, mental torture, um, you know, they say that 
that, you know, dying is the greatest loss. How about dying inside while you're still alive? You know, I had no close friends. Um, My family, basically, those connections were diminished. I couldn't sleep well at night. I felt guilty. I had deep resentment. Um, You know, I was uh, a victim. (laughs) I had a lot of self-pity. I had some silent scorn thrown in there, isolation, depression, suicidal thinking. Those were the results, the promises of disease. And no one was doing that to me. This was a self-imposed crisis. I was self-destructing by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. Thank God I got to the point where I was crushed by this illness. Thank God, you know, that every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. And with the help of the instructions and with the hand of someone in whom the problem had been solved, I was led out of this deep darkness into the light of recovery. And, uh, you know, certainly um, God expected my responsibility in recovery and my, and my actions, but it was his grace um, and, and the uh, co-creation with, with those actions that put me on shore. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thanks, Leah M. Lisa B., did you want to share? Oh, I'm here. I Can you hear me? I apologize. I had Lisa a problem B. with my phone. Yes. Sure. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Great. I'm struggling here, but I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> my name is Lisa B. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you so much for your service. This has been a very, very powerful meeting for me. It's um, it's really put a healthy fear in me, and it's shown to me from listening to all of the shares that I am recovered, but I'm not cured, and that this is what is waiting for me. And the word that jumped out for me is the word remorse, and that means deep regret or guilt for wrong committed. And some other words that uh, also are similar to that would be sorrow, shame, self-condemnation, and I felt that I was wrong, I was flawed. And it's, again, that addiction to self, you know, even though it's not having a thinking, oh, I'm the best in the world, I lived in a place of feeling like that I was the worst, and then I would vacillate to thinking I'm better than others. And I love to think about the opposite of remorse because it brings such hope. And this is what comes as a result of doing these steps. One of the words that speaks of being opposite of remorse is joy. And I love that word joy. It means feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But I knew nothing about joy other than experiencing it through food and some other behaviors and substances. So what I've learned as a result of going through the steps is it's not a degree I get. It's not like an arrival and then I'm done. It is a process that happens to me where I am now in the world of the spirit. And then it's up to me that the moment I'm disturbed, the moment I am disturbed in any way, even now as minute as it might be, I need to follow the precise directions in the big book and I need to continue to grow and enlarge my spiritual life and I need to work with others. And, you know, sometimes it's hard because I don't want to always be about the spirit. You know, I want it to be about the pleasures of the world and 
just being able to relax and let go. And the, today, the way I need to relax and let go is fall into my higher power's arms. And sometimes that just sounds so boring. You know, I don't want it to be like that. But that is the truth. And I know that today I am the problem, that it's, it's the solution that I need to get into and live in, and that it's not an overnight process and it's not a done deal. It's just constantly growing and enlarging and progressing forward. And sometimes there are great moments of joy, and then other times there are great moments of frustration. But there's always a freedom there of being recovered and abstinent. And today it's not about abstinence being the most important thing. It's about the relationship with my higher power. But I always need abstinence to be there in order to have that. So it's just, it's just the way it is. And this is describing me, who and what I am, and that I can be at any moment if I start to think I can run the show. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B. Lauren A., I think. Hi, it's Lori A., by the way, just so you know. Oh, Lori. Thank you. I don't know how you do it with all these names going through it, Chad. I really don't. (laughs) You're forgiven. You're too good. (laughs) Go right ahead. Okay. Um, What really, really, really struck out at me was um, the last part of this paragraph where he talks about, um, you know, the market had gone to hell and so had he and, and, you know, now should he kill himself? And then he just says, oh, to Oh, just basically screw it, you know, Jen will fix that, and boom, there he goes. Um, I'm in the process, I've been in OA for a while, and I've been listening to you guys now since the middle of November, and I have a, a Vision for You sponsor, and I'm in the process of letting go of flour, um, specifically white flour, and I didn't realize how difficult that was going to be. And last night, you know, I'm sitting there, and it's been two hours since I've eaten, and I think I'm hungry. You know that I think I'm hungry stuff. But in the back of my mind, I know I'm looking for comfort, and it's been a stressful day. And So I say, okay, so just two servings of my crackers. That'll be fine. So then I have the two servings, and then that was so good that I want some more. So then I have four servings, and then I'm like, okay, Lori, this is, like, really compulsive. So I woke up this morning and just threw the crackers out and put dish soap on them and stuff and realized, you know what? I can't do any kind of crackers. That's just it. I just can't do any kind of crackers. And so, you know, that's another thing that's going on the list. You know, got to get honest, going on the list. And, you know, because I was, like, obsessing about them. And it was just like this, you know. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. Oh, my gosh, my crackers. I could have those crackers, those crackers and my cheese, you know. And and it's just how it's cunning, baffling, and powerful how it gets me. And it's just I'm coming to a whole new level of honesty with my food. And no matter, every time I look at it, it's just like, I've never had to deal with nighttime eating. Um, It's never been a thing of mine, and now it's starting to become a thing of mine. So I'm so glad you guys are are here so that I can, you know, get honest and, you know, really do the program the way it was meant to be done. And the remorse, the horror, the hopelessness of the next morning – I mean, I have that, but I don't because I know what I did and 
I know there's hope out there. So today is another day, and I will go on, and I will be abstinent with the help of my higher power and my fellow compulsive eaters and you guys. So thank you very much. Have yourselves a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lori A. Tina? Good morning. This I think it Gina. was Gina. Oh, oh let's can you just hear me? see. Someone just said good morning. Is it a Tina who asked to share? Yes, it's Gina F. from Connecticut. Wait can a you minute. hear me? Is it Gina? Yes. Okay, and the person who said I think it was Gina was not Gina. That was someone else? Correct. This was Tina, but I didn't think she said oh, Tina. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Thank you, Tina and Gina. Go right ahead. Gina. Gina from Connecticut. I'm sorry. Good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, this is Gina F. from Connecticut. Good morning, everybody. Um, Yes, I totally relate to this experience of remorse, horror, and hopelessness. That was the moment that brought me to Overeaters Anonymous. I had woken up um, quite early in the morning after another failed New Year's resolution to lose weight and control my eating, and um, it was the moment that I realized that uh, I had no control over this, that there was something really wrong with me beyond the fact that I liked food or had trouble sticking to a diet. Um, unfortunately, it was uh, about eight and a half years between that moment and um, Bill's quicksand moment later in this chapter uh, where he feels like quicksand stretching all around him um, for me to truly grasp the nature of recovery and the spiritual solution. Sure, I could admit that I had a problem with food and that I uh, wasn't able to manage it, but for me to fully accept a spiritual way of life um, that I needed a power greater than myself to manage my life and to manage my eating, um, that wasn't an easy pill for me to swallow. And Sorry about that. Thank you, Gina. Um, Katie T. And until until the miracle of recovery happened for me. And now Hello. I get it. Oh, excuse me. I guess uh, Gina just blacked out, at least on my phone, so I thought she was finished. Uh, oh, Gina, am I still here? You are here? still here. So, Katie, oh. go, uh, hold on a minute. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Go ahead, Gina. No, um, my fault. <laughs> I'm, I apologize. Sorry I'll quickly finish up. So um, as I was saying, I never understood people who said that they were grateful for all of the pain that they had to go through, but I understand it now that recovery um, is happening for me because it was what I needed to get to God. Um, And today God is the most important thing in my life, and I wouldn't have needed the solution if I didn't have the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of this problem and the progression to the point where I was thinking about dying. And uh, that's not where I was when I had my, my first uh, step one powerlessness moment. It had to progress to the point where 
I was desperate and quicksand was stretching all around me and this was the only option and thank God it was because this is a life better than um, one I had ever known before. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Gina F. And, or is it S? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. From Connecticut, Katie T. Hi, this is Katie T., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Carolina. Um, what really struck me uh, hard today was this simple line, my brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Well, I have um, had freedom from food obsession for a long time with this, uh, what seems to me quite a long time, with working this program. But yesterday I returned from... Um, Let's see. I don't even know if it was my first day back. I think it was um, from a trip to the OA birthday party in LA, and then two weeks in Oregon. And you know, I jet lagged three hours out of my time zone there, and then snapped back to three mile, three hours out of my time zone here, and I was exhausted. And I saw myself acting out at the airport in line with someone. Um, all of my uh, thoughts and actions seemed out of line with my recovery and uh i was i was uh i took on a foster dog immediately when i got back and it just i was overwhelmed to the point where yesterday my brain was racing uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity i made some attempts to call people to do some tenth steps and for one reason or another they weren't available or uh and i um didn't seem to have the um, the courage or the uh, the common sense to keep calling and to quiet my brain. I went to a movie so that for three hours my brain would not be spinning. I did eat though abstinently all day yesterday. I did prepare my meals. I did weigh and measure. I was not obsessed with the idea of eating anything, but there was a sense in the back of my brain about just giving up, some kind of giving up giving up calling people, giving up uh, doing what should be done, giving up. And I I flirted with the idea of going to the emergency room last night to um, ask for an admission um, because I uh, was feeling so out of whack. And uh, But I knew I had to hold on to this program. In the middle of all that, I knew I had to hold on. I could not let go. I got a good night's sleep last night. I woke up this morning, and the first thing I did was talk to God. Um, I went to listen to the, spe- the rest of the special edition from Sunday. Um, I just, you know, I got up early to do these things. I I just stepped right back into the program, and thank God, I asked God, I begged God to help me this morning, and I'm in tears because um, that help has come. And... Um, So even in the most difficult day, this program gave me a a floor to catch me when I feel like I'm falling. There's, There's something there that I know I can turn to. I know what to do. I know how to work this program. And never in that whole day um, was there an urge to um, leave my entire abstinence. And so thank you, God, and thank you, this program. Now I pass. Thank you, Katie T. Nancy P., I'm afraid we've run out of time. I'm so sorry. I miscalculated. 
So hopefully you'll get to share either tomorrow or uh, later in the second hour today. Um, thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, February 5, 2019, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 12,501. That's 12501. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Sally P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Good morning. Sally P. from Colorado here, Recovered Compulsive Eater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.